Today on Swamp Things, we talk about Rafe's Supreme Court hearing coming up tomorrow. We have an interview with Stephen Trevally about social media. We talk about pet parents. We delve into what it means to be a Christmas skeptic. And LeBron equals Thanos, whatever that means. It's the Swamp Things podcast. Of the Diocese of Hamilton, the Roman Catholic. We should uh, record that in a chipmunk voice. Everybody's going to be in a podcast. Or Holy Family Parish. Right. They're not necessarily. Not necessarily. What color are your lips? That's a weird question. That's kind of racist. No, sorry. <laughs> that was a question that I was. A very personal question I was asked randomly just before we started recording. By, what color are my lips? By your co host, me, Spicy C. See the the thing is oh the can you, Sam Tater. Can you lean back a bit? Your your head's too big. My head's too big. There we um, go. Okay, that's better. So yeah, never mind. Let's just ask each other random personal questions about our physique. I said I think people. That's why people are tuning in. Hey, what's new with you these days, Sam? What Any? flavor is your earwax? Uh, <laughs> that's a horrible one. <laughs> Speaking of flavors. You know, we could take the flush this episode out of the podcast, but we can't take the flush things mentality out of your head. We were supposed to play a song for our oh, intro. Yeah. There's a cactus charming as a... Anyway, that's all. Hope you enjoyed that. I love that. I was just thinking about how... Speaking of flavors. People of my generation, which uh, was dubbed Generation X, love, like, especially... I think The Grinch Has Told Christmas and Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas could pe- make people of my generation weep. Weep with spiritual fervor, whether <laughs> oh, wow. we're Christians or not. Like, I mean, it was that moment when Linus is up on stage and he tells a Christmas story. Again, I think for people, even if they're not Christian, it's like, it's foundational to our ethos as a generation. And the rest of you guys don't care. I'm almost Generation X. I know. You're that fake mid-generation. Zennial. Zennial. But I, most people would agree I'm Generation X. No, I would not year. agree. You're definitely millennial compared to me. I'm at the me. last year. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe. Generation X ended on, in 79 and whatever began in 80. But anyway. Um, yeah, but we're, we're going to get to that in a bit. Um, we're going to talk about Christmas skeptics. But first, we have an update from Spicy C about one of his children. Take it away, Spicy C. No longer a child. So our no son, longer. Rafe... Still your child, though. He is our child, but not a child. He'll always be your child. That's what they say. Until you get really old, and then you become like your children's children, because you become like a child again. Potentially. A lot yep. of really old people. Diapers. Yeah. Carrying you around. Yep. Yep. Wheeling you around in a stroller. Slash wheelchair. It could happen. May may happen. Hey, um, so, yeah, this is kind of exciting. He's been a, qualified as a lawyer, called to the bar just over a year ago, and uh, tomorrow he is appearing, albeit electronically, uh, before the Supreme Court of Canada, which is pretty exciting. Him and his uh, boss, who's the owner of the firm, they're arguing a very interesting case, uh, which kind of relates to religious freedom. And actually, it's going to be live streamed, so we might. I, I'm going to be at work, but it's possible to watch the case or and I think I think the hearing I should say and even after the hearing's over I think they'll stay on their website for a while 
So it's a, it's a very interesting case. I won't go into all the details. Of course, it's really technical. But basically, the question is, is a member of the church who makes contributions to it effectively someone who has a contract with that church? And therefore, is membership in a church subject to contract law? Hmm. Anyway, it's kind of exciting to religious freedom. His boss does a lot of religious freedom cases. And it's kind of an exciting moment. And... I guess I'd say kind of a proud moment for mother and father. I mean, he's just been a, over a lawyer for over a year, and he's going to be appearing before the Supreme Court. So it's kind of exciting. That is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Really moving up in the world. Kind the of. Supreme Court, yeah. you can't get much higher than that. That's true, as far as as far as that goes, as far for as sure. litigating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that is exciting. So it's going to be live streamed tomorrow, so we'll be interested to find out how that turns out. Yes, Wednesday, December 9th is Because I imagine, well, anything that goes to the Supreme Court has far-reaching implications for law mm-hmm. everywhere in Canada, right? Well, you can imagine if, if any... The precedent vol- gets set there. Sure. So basically, the question is, in a volunteer organization to which you make donations, are you then... then you Have you established a, con- a contractual relationship which entitles your membership in that organization to be subject to contract law? So... You could apply the same argument for like other charitable organizations. Exactly, it's not right? just churches. So, like, if I give to World Vision, yeah, you know, I have some kind of a formal, con- like, a contract right. under law with World right. Vision. Right. Is that what it means? Yes. Wow, that that does have pretty big implications. It's got huge Think of all the donations that get tossed around. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all over the place to all kinds of nonprofits. And sure. If you uh, <laughs> think of the uh, the practical applications, you know, like, yeah. am I am, so? Would it mean like, am I like a shareholder, like or like a? Well, you have the question is, do you have a contract? Do I, yeah, like so. Do I have some kind of legal tenure over? Hold kind of thing. Hold. Yeah. Legal claim. Legal I guess the claim. question is, do you have the equivalent of a contract? Yeah. So, in other words, the other a related question is, does do the courts have jurisdiction over the question of membership in voluntary organizations which receive donations? about that, that again would bring contract law into play so yeah it's kind of exciting it's they do they, it's it's very interesting because they not a lot of people argue before the supreme court rafe's boss the the owner of the firm phil horgan does so and um they do these like rehearsals so they've they've done a couple of, like online rehearsals with uh is it like a, a not-for-profit i think it is that does these online rehearsals for lawyers about to litigate before the supreme court really yeah that's neat. And they gave you some ideas about what to do. Hmm. So that is kind of new and exciting. What about you, Sam? Or the Sam Tater? What's new and exciting with you guys? Um, well, we were talking about what's new and exciting. Or uh, new and not exciting. We have some... Well, we were, I, I was going to talk about... Well, I'm not on the screen here. I was going to talk about my pets because we had a, uh, a visit with the vet. Uh, and um, we had the vet... We have a vet that comes over, Dr. Amy. She has a mobile vet service. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice. You don't have to box up the vet, the pets and take them there. Sure. So we have a, a dog and two cats. And for those of you who didn't know I had cats, you're probably like, what? Sam has cats? Because I was always very vocal about not my non-love of cats. Because they're like tools of the devil? <clears throat> no, because they're just like, on the, on the farm, animals have a utility. Ah. And... Cats have a very specific, specific role on the farm, just right. catch mice. We'll, we'll talk more about and that. And dogs have a very specific role, which is to bark at intruders and keep critters away from the house. Critters away from the house and alert you. Hopefully, alert you to problems. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't really panned out. But anyway, our dog and our two cats were all three of them had issues. So they, the vet came just for like a checkup and a regular like vaccine booster or whatever, and it turned into like a huge bill and like nine different medications that we have to give them on rotation yeah and you were probably thinking i could have bought a snowmobile with that an old snowmobile i could have bought a snowmobile for that not even that old of a snowmobile to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah here's a picture of our dog just so everybody can go oh he's so cute and he's wearing a bow just like the dog in grinch's full christmas yeah what's your dog's name copper oh yeah because he's a hound you know a fox and the hound the dog's name is Copper. I didn't know that. But oh, I you didn't know that, but now you do. Sure. So, um, yeah, that, that's him. And uh, 
So he had a really bad ear infection. In fact, um, we had a toxicology report done in his, uh, his ear. That's very advanced for a dog's ears. Dog, but she yeah. wanted to because she was like, I don't really, seems worse than I'm used to seeing. Because floppy ear dogs often have uh, ear infections. Our dog had a ear infection a couple years ago. Anyway, the toxicology report came back with uh, two types of bacteria. One, she said she had never seen. Right. In like 30 years of practice, she hadn't seen hmm. the one. She she'd never seen it before. So it actually requires an antibiotic we weren't giving him. Wow. So now we have to buy more antibiotics. And are, are we into like the pet segment now or what? Yeah, let's just jump into it. All right, we were going to talk about um, about uh, pet parents, but um, whatever that means. I guess Charles is going to try and define that. But am I a pet parent? Well, I'm going to. This is this is actually the city it's guide to Bruce Gray. Oh, this, is it? This segment. Oh, I think we, we have a, I think we have an intro. <laughs> I keep meaning to get, bring in a, a straw hat and put it on during that intro. Well, maybe it's you giving me the advice now, since well, I'm the one spending a fortune on my dog. Yeah, we're all kind of pet parents. If you have an animal that's a domestic animal, you're like you're spending like a pet parent. But it's just the term I've only I've only been hearing this term for a few months. I don't know. Have you heard this term before this year? I haven't. Yeah. Pet parent. You have. Okay, well, I'm kind of yeah. out of touch anyway. But So pet parent is specifically the idea that for some people, having a pet is very much fulfills the same emotional function in their lives as having a child would. And um, it's a reflection of isolation and loneliness. Apparently there's a big bump up in pet parents because of restrictions and going out and stuff like that. You know, I can see it, and for some people who can't have kids or didn't have kids, I guess there's this, there there can be a sort of void in life if you don't have children you're close to, besides your own, whom you don't have. It's still kind of weird to me, but it's, I think, more of a city phenomenon, and this is like a City It's Guide to Bruce Gray segment because... I think city people are more likely to be consider themselves pet parents, although country people could as well. So maybe it's worth thinking about what animals, domestic, I'll just use the term domestic animals, dogs and cats in particular, what do they do in the country? What are they for? Hmm. You were talking about it earlier, but you could just spell it out. Yeah, well, like, um, I suppose if I was speaking to a city yet. You are. <laughs> um, and we were talking about this a little earlier, just that on the farm animals tend to have like a utility like they're, they're we have an animal so that they serve a purpose not mm -hmm. because they're part of our family necessarily although my kids love our dog and the cats they enjoy having them around and they i'm sure it'd be de you know devastated if something happened to them yeah at the same time we have we got a dog on per, uh, on the reason for the reason because that um you need a dog around when you live in the country you have wild animals around um, there's almost like a, my dad explains it this way. There's like sort of like a buffer zone that mm -hmm. a dog creates, so they they sort of roam around a little bit, and they have yeah. like a maybe like a might be like depending on the dog like half a kilometer in each direction. A little territory. A little territory, and other animals can well a they can smell the dog, so they know the dog's been there, and they won't mm -hmm. go near it because of that. And they can also hear the dog if it, if it howls and barks. Mm -hmm. So keeps away things like we have a lot of coyotes around. We've actually had a live, livestock killed by coyotes. We actually got compensated for that this year. Hmm. We had a calf killed by wow. um, a pack of coyotes. So they're around. Um, we've had bear, we have bear tracks. That's less less frequent, but mm -hmm. the odd time. Um, not that bears are that really that dangerous, but um, and even just nuisance animals like raccoons and things like that that get into the garbage and you know kill chickens and all kinds of stuff. So you need yep. to have an animal around. So the dog serves a purpose and. I think because of that, we never really got attached. When I was growing up, we didn't get attached to our dogs. They were sort of a dime a dozen. Like, we'd just get a mutt, and we'd, we wouldn't have a lot invested in it. We'd sort of get it for almost for free or for a very mm -hmm. small amount. Keep it for a while, and then, you know, something would happen to it, and we'd get a new dog. And um, There's also a lot more risks to a dog on a farm, being run over, being, you know, getting a disease. I think being run over on the road is one that farm dogs. with an animal. Yeah. Like, there's all, all kinds of things like that, so... 
So, so we kind of we kind of went through dogs more often than someone in the city might, where they mm-hmm. they lived old age, you know. Um, so because of that, we sort of have a different opinion of them. Just that, you know, they you don't really get attached to them like a family member. They're sort of just a member of the a part of the farm ecosystem. Let's say. Yeah. How's that sound? I like it. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I lived long and enough in the country to experience that. Cats but. are the same. They keep mice away, right? They, yeah. They, they eat mice. That's what we want them for. Our, we have a cat that's terrific at catching birds in the in our shed, so which we also like because we don't want birds in the shed. Mm-hmm. So the cat goes and hunts birds in there all the time and brings back birds. Go for it. In you a way, will. when animals are like that, they're more like they're probably their their sort of more remote um, ancestors in terms of like what what is it that an animal like what's its purpose and meaning? Why does it exist? They like dogs exist because they are pack animals that that create a territory around their quote-unquote pack and cats exist because they're hunters of sorts so you know in a way it's a very respectful uh, approach to animals because they have a meaning and a purpose that is not just being pampered or cared for or shown affection although those things do happen on the farm like i think kids do love little animals so all kinds of little animals yeah they play fetch with them and yeah. stuff too but but he almost he's almost living out his true nature in a way right i think being, i think there's a lot to that yeah. being faithful to his nature as a dog that's actually what he was yeah like you said what he was bred to do he's a hound so he was bred to um to hunt animals i mean that's what he does so uh, i think also the term pet parent if i could go the other direction with it is a way of saying we're a very very poor society in terms of human contact that that people are so isolated that we don't necessarily many people don't have a lot of connection with with little children anymore um and that's really sad and if there isn't a young child or children in your life you're looking for something like that and it used to be the case i think with more extended families and closer knit communities that even if you didn't have your own kids you were around kids all the time church for instance right church was old people middle-aged people kids Mm-hmm. And that means old people and middle-aged people who didn't have family could be around kids and be affectionate with kids, which is something I think everybody does need. I know at the nursing home where I work, whenever little kids come in, it's so refreshing. It's so joyful to see, for me, even just to like see the older people being able to hug a little one, uh, even if it's not their grandchild or great-grandchild, right? It's just like, it's a human need. We're all like that. So I remember, I think Mother Teresa said the real poverty of the West was loneliness was the loneliness we have and and i think in that sense like it's not to judge anyone who considers themselves a pet parent but more like to say that that tells us something about ourselves as a society that we need to do something about i would say uh, i was thinking that um yeah like just the yeah, time on facebook we'll see this like sort of like a comparison between um people and pets so like there are people that would that prefer being with their pet to being with people yeah probably because of her safe experience at the hands of people mm-hmm. uh, people treat them badly you yeah. know they've, they've got the, this they're sort of damaged that way and and in some ways a dog is such a simple companion mm-hmm. like they're so like they're so faithful and like just they're just simple like you sure if you feed them and give them water and they just love you you know yeah. there's no like it's not complicated there's know, a bond like it is with people yeah so people are especially children are messy and taxing in a way that a pet isn't right i wouldn't say especially children i think children are more like dogs in the sense that they just get attached to people even to people who don't necessarily treat them well i just mean their needs go so much beyond what it does for a dog and or a pet you know yeah um their their needs for you know yeah emotional their emotional needs and their psychological needs are way you know Mm -hmm. so much greater than just feeding them and giving them water you know um anyway i just i've noticed that too and i was it was maybe wonder like wow it's kind of amazing that people would prefer that relationship in some ways over a human relationship but you can understand mm-hmm. humans have, humans hurt people and humans let people down in a way that your dog won't you know your that's dog right. will always be there it's very very simple for a dog i always like to tease people though your dog will always be there until you die, and then it'll eat you. <laughs> well, on that note, Sam, or the Sam Tater, why are you cackling with glee? Because <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, not funny, but funny. Uh, do you think dogs would eat the yes. corpse of their... 
Master. If you die alone in your house with your dog and your dog goes a day without a meal, it's going to think seriously about eating you. Trust me. <laughs> I don't know that much about it. Are you, are you, you think that it would just starve to death rather than eat, eat this well, what about, obviously what about tasty in your house? House? What about a human in your house that's trapped in your house and can't get out? Humans do that too. That's what okay, cannibalism well, is. Not, dogs are not less loyal for that reason. I'm going to push back a little bit. Not because I'm... I'm not saying they're less loyal. I'm saying that they're still dogs. And well, this okay, is, but humans are still humans. A human would eat a dead human. Yeah. Potentially. Okay. I probably wouldn't. But you're saying I wouldn't. you don't think a dog would. I'm not, no, no, no. I'm saying dogs are no different than humans oh, in that respect. No, that's true. I, I, I know. But it just... Everybody, like... It goes back to the argument I said before. That the reason people prefer an animal, like a pet, over mm. humans is because they think, you know, they won't let me down no matter what. Right. And then I like to tease them that until you, unless you die in your home alone yeah, and your dog's yeah. there. And, 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 there, and there are obviously there are animals, dogs or cats who, who in a way, it's, it reflects what happens to people. Like who, who actually like are dangerous to be around because probably because of the way they were treated dogs don't grow dogs dogs don't mature naturally to be really mean and aggressive unless they're treated a certain way or trained a certain mm. way but some are more instinctively like that i know i know i, I, I find them i i guess maybe because of my past with animals um i, I just i do not trust dogs i do well, not trust them that's a good point i know i, I have I a agree, hard time actually turning my back on them yeah same with like bulls like we have well, bulls. bulls are i know but i just mean like it's still an animal. Yeah, yeah. It still lacks our our gift of reason, mm -hmm. and it, they're still driven primarily oh, by instinct and by physical need. Yeah. So they, for whatever reason, think you're a threat or your kid's a threat. You know, I just I don't know. Every, my, my, I, have, I have a hard time turning my back, and when I'm when I have my kids with me, I'm very cautious, very, very, very. You cautious. should be. No. And I don't know. I don't think it's actually more worse in the country than in the city. It's the same thing. No, I think it's about the same. Uh, Mary's dad, my late father-in-law, sold real estate. I remember asking about like walking because I like to walk around in the countryside. I probably don't do as much as I used to a few years back. But like, what did he do about dogs? And he said, "Well, I just took a stick because he was sold real estate. He's going to farms that were basically empty. The owners weren't there. It might be a dog on the loose. What do you do? Just like you have some treats for the dog or some food, and you have a stick or a knife." I don't know. Knives, knife, the range of a knife is not as big as a stick. That's true. Anyway, that's what they he said. They might already be clamped onto your arm by the time you Because you're trying to hurt the animal, because you might have to protect yourself. That's what I mean. I've, I've been walking around the countryside when there are There have been dogs. times where I've been like, I have my hand in my pocket. I'm like, hmm, that's a knife, though. Keep my knife there. It's too close. The range is not good. I know, but I like, like it. Anyway. So I keep, I keep a, uh, an old baseball bat by the door. People think because of intruders. No, it's because of critters. There you have it. You heard it here first, guys. Spicy C keeps a baseball bat by his door. Because there are so critters. Don't, don't sneak up to his house and try to no, enter. People are fine. I'm not going to go after you if you're a person. But if you're like a rabid porcupine, I may need to hit you on the head. I'm not going here. All right. Stay away. Baseball bat by the door. That's all we need to know. All right. On that note, we have an interview today with a gentleman named Stephen Trevally. Stephen Trevally is, um, I believe, the social media expert, social media manager at um, for South Bruce, the municipality of South Bruce. And we got the ch had the chance to sit down with him and talk to him about all kinds of different things. So uh, we hope you enjoy this interview with Stephen Trevally. Why should, maybe I'll have to ask this one, why should the Catholic Church get on board with social media? Why should we do that? I think, I mean, it, it's part, part of evangelization, I think. It can be a useful tool, and then we have to be cognizant of the fact that people of all generations, mine, older, or even younger, I guess there are younger generations than me now that I'm in my 20s, but <laughs> that, that's a way to, to reach people. I don't think, you know, it's a substitute for going to the church or a substitute for, I don't think it's a substitute for anything, but I think it can certainly complement and, and help the church teach, help the church spread its mission, I would say. Yeah, like... As a comms person, that would be my immediate response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you, th have you have you seen any good examples of, of church, Catholic church, or others doing a good job of social media? I don't think anything really jumps out at me right away. Like during the pandemic, we would I would watch the mass live, and there was no when the churches weren't open yet. But now, I mean, I I don't I personally haven't seen. Maybe it's just because I'm looking locally. 
like I didn't go and live stream mass from Toronto or from Hamilton. I just, you know, local parishes or priests I knew. So I don't know if it's really taken off or where I've seen a good example. I know there's some out there, but. I think live stream masses are pretty low bar. Sure, it's a you, pretty easy thing to pull that. off. Yeah, but I'm beyond not, that, you mean, yeah. Yeah, like the one that's probably the most familiar to, to people might be Word on Fire. I was, I was just going to come to mind. I don't like, like Word on Fire. I find it boring. <laughs> Okay. I don't know about you. Maybe I don't know. Like I'm it. not a regular. So like, I, mean, I don't follow it as I don't. I, I watch clips when they come yeah. up, but I'm not like. A, I haven't subscribed to to any of those Father, channels. Our Father Longnecker in the states. He has a, I know the he's name. a huge social media following. Yeah. Um, there's a few of them that are kind of moguls. So just just in general, the Pope. That's too easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I see some bishops on Twitter. Sorry, just I'll end that okay. thought. But that's just interesting that a lot of them are, are using Twitter as a platform. And again, is that really? It's in, well, I don't know. They're speaking truth, and they're and they're they're not afraid to be bold and, and and even stir controversy. So, in terms of individuals or organizations or groups or whatever you want to call it, businesses even, who's really good in your opinion on social media? Who does it really well? I, I find a lot of small businesses are good around here. We're just up <laughs> the street from Harley's. That's just one example. But I think of like small businesses and shops in Walkerton. and especially I see, I think when young people want to be entrepreneurs, it's, it's not an easy thing to go into. And not that I can speak from experience, but I mean, you've got overhead, you've got challenges, nothing is for certain. But I think one skill that a lot of these young and new business owners is bringing is that they've got a good mastery and understanding of using social media, whether it's different platforms or, you know, giveaways to draw attention to themselves. I, I, that's just one that's sticks out when I see businesses and I think some artists and musicians use it like I think of local talent that will do Instagram lives and have people tune in last night Owen Riegling for example had a had a whiskey Wednesday and Instagram live and people could tune in he's sitting in his garage and mm -hmm. you know what I mean 80 people on a Wednesday just happen to be watching live like that's it's interesting I think that's an audience that's an audience that's, like, that's, that's an audience show. I agree 80, 80 people. people live in that's the moment bigger than a bar yeah yeah totally bigger than any bar right now or, for or sure. in general I don't yeah. think you get pack 80 people in there yeah, so I think, uh, I think, and even when people don't have like mastery or expertise or training, people that just are organic, some people are just organically good at it. They don't, they don't necessarily have a, yeah, training or a course in social media or marketing. They just know how to connect with people on a very basic level. It so, comes naturally to this yeah, generation. Yeah, I think generation. so. I think that's part of it. What, what, so um, what are the qualities that someone who connects naturally, like the person you talked about from last night, mm -hmm. If you was an example of that. I think so, yeah. What's it like when someone's really natural with social media? I think they're just, I think they're, they're themselves, they're, they're at ease, they're obviously comfortable, and they're not stilted or scripted. I think maybe that's when you were talking about maybe word on fire or some, any, any demonstration of, of social media where someone is very scripted and rehearsed and it's maybe it's been approved or gone through a process. I think that's, people don't connect with that as much because it's less genuine. So I think that's clearly a trait in any sense in social media. People are just themselves and it's not overly formal. Yeah. Here's an example. You're trying. They're trying. I think you're doing a good job yeah, so yeah. far. One word you use, I think is really important more than ever. I think was always important is the word authentic. Mm -hmm. I think it's an overused word as well. You're right. It's like it's been used for like 20 years. Yeah, it's like, and I've used it about five times so far. But but I still believe I still believe in it. And the thing I think it takes time to figure this out is like. Is someone just playing it, being authentic, really good at seeming authentic? Because like you can play it being raw. Definitely. So what's what is authentic mean to you? That's a pretty happy question. I, I don't know. That's why I'm here. I don't I know because like you. That, know, right? Yeah, that's fine. I can see you're asking the, the tougher questions. Yeah, to yeah. Charles, speaking Charles, but that's funny. Um, again, I'm going to say something like it sounds so. Who's like a really authentic public figure, whether it's in the church or in society or business? Who does that? Like, comes across authentically to you? Maybe another. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Oh, I should have an answer for this, like right off the bat. That's okay. Who do I find that's authentic? I'll give you. I'll give okay, you. we'll come back. Or you give me your oh, example. Your, yeah. Okay. I don't care that much about conventional politics for a variety of reasons. Sure. I care to serve that, but not that much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think the Premier of Ontario succeeded in being authentic. 100%. Whether you agree with him on all kinds of yeah. issues or not, it seems like he's been successful at it. He's I, it's like my family, my mother-in-law, mm -hmm. whatever things were raised, it's like, yeah. save our, you know, we got to mm -hmm. protect our kids. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not endorsing that party or not, but sure. I would actually contrast that with the Prime Minister. Again, mm -hmm. not because of political views I hold, just like, for some reason, this Premier succeeded. I don't yeah. know, does that make sense? I agree. You know what, that's a great example. I should have probably said that right off the bat, because throughout this whole thing, I think whether people, again, favorable or not to a certain politician, have appreciated, for example, that the Premier just calls things as they are. And just speaks his, he uses his own words, right? Like you know, when he was talking about the pandemic, and he's he's calling something out. I don't know. I find he is. He's just he says what he wants to say. I think that's a sign of authenticity. Is, here, here's just to, to make the point this way. I disagree with some of the things that he has said and done. Sure. But I still think he's been successful in seeming authentic and delivering them. Maybe his delivery has been well. I was going to say that in general, I'd say that's one of the things that people dislike about politicians mm -hmm. is when there's a a facade yeah there's like this perfect image put forth mm -hmm. and and then there's rumors and everything that of things going on in the background, the background. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. people hate that that it, um, I mean is the is the opposite of authenticity hypocrisy sure maybe in a way or being too smooth so you you uh, left Bruce County to go away to school? Mm -hmm. to go to school? I went to Ottawa. I did my undergrad at the University of Ottawa, so that's a good hike, about seven hours. So I really did leave. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like an hour and a half into Guelph or something. What I, was your major? Political science and French immersion. So, yeah, social science degree just finished this spring, and now I'm back. So that's good. What was, what was Ottawa like? My, my brother actually lives near the University of Ottawa, so we've been there. We try to go there a couple times a year. We're there just in August. Okay. Yeah, well, Ottawa's like? nice because it's kind of like a small city in a way. Like it's not as bustling as Toronto, so it wasn't overwhelming. I didn't find. Um, and it's, I mean, it's it's the nation's capital. There's a lot of political, diplomatic, national institutions. There's a lot going on in that regard, and I quite enjoy that. There's 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 a culture to it. There's a lot of national pride in Ottawa. There's a lot, like I said, the institutions are all there. They they had offices of everything, so. I enjoyed my time there immensely. I learned a lot and had some good like work experiences and, and just you know experiences in general, meeting people and I, I quite like Ottawa. I do miss it a little bit, for sure. Even though I'm not a city person. I do want to ask though, what was some of, what were some of the bigger adjustments you had to make going from where do you live? Now. I'm living here in Kinloss, so we're south of King Carden, uh, right. pretty close to the water. We're a couple blocks away from Lake Huron, so that's really yeah, nice. Yeah. What were some of the bigger adjustments you had to make in Ottawa? Just uh, uh, getting used to public transit. <laughs> See, funny, it's, it is, no, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like, I, I avoided the bus for my first semester. I'm like, not that I, I just, I can walk, I can figure it out. And then, obviously, when an Ottawa winter hits, you kind of reevaluate that uh, that mentality. But that's, like, that's one that jumps out. Um, it's just there's a wider range of personalities and viewpoints and, 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 and opinions and lifestyles. It's it's culture shock for sure. And I think when people hear about home as well, they, they like our culture shock to hear, oh, this is how you guys do this, or this is what your high school experience was like, or what you were like growing up. It's interesting, but I certainly. Did, did you have any friends from university or from bigger places come back to visit you at your family home? I've had some friends come back to the county, yeah, some some colleagues from, from when I worked at Parliament and so a couple school friends, they've, they've been up to visit, yeah, over the summers. Just, what, what was that like when they came up? For me, it was kind of like a sense of pride, like, oh, I can show you where I come from, I can show you around, and, and this is our life, and I think, um, I don't think there's anything too jarring for them, just that if it's, you know, a small town and you know everybody, you know everybody, that's sort of the comment I would hear, so. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed letting people come to see where I, where, where I live and where I come from. And you came here as a child. You, you mentioned that a little. Uh, well, I was. My parents came here before here. I was born, so okay. I was born here, born and raised here, first generation in the county. Can yeah. I make a, yeah. an observation about what you just said? Sure. That's very Bruce County because <laughs> <laughs> Stephen had already said he was born here. Yeah. Oh. But it's like, are you really from here? Yeah. That's a local. Oh, that's people. a classic as well. Yeah. Like, yeah are you yeah. really from here? From yeah. Here? I don't know your parents. I don't recognize your last name. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's, you've known him and his family probably. For decades, most literally. of my, yeah, most yeah, a decade of my life or so. Yeah, you're still not quite yeah. sure he's from here, right, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm not from here. you in the same way that you're Obviously, from here. Yeah. No. I was kind of think. I was just thinking about like how, um, in this area. Mm -hmm. Now you're from Ripley area. Yeah, right? yeah, I yeah, guess. That way. Yeah, that way. Here in Kinloss. People just say Kincardine. I say no, no, no. Here in Kinloss. Kinloss. Yeah, yeah. So Beach. 
But I just, I, I think of how like a little town sort of have their own circle uh -huh. and how they view other towns. Uh -huh. And so like we're here in Mildmay right now. Uh -huh. And Mildmay was viewed a certain way by people from Chepstow. Right. Okay. Like we were. Or from Carlsruhe. I've heard from Carlsruhe talk yeah. about yeah. Mild Bay. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's just, it was just funny to me how, um, like, we would make fun of the way people in Mild May speak. Yeah. And we always thought of people in from Teeswater as kind of their own type of people, too. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's um, funny. There's little stereotypes or assumptions or well, just even stories about little villages and towns. And there's yeah, stereotypes for a reason, right? Certainly. And, and all the crazy parties always happen in South Bruce. I believe that. Like, we would go, we would leave Chepstow and go to... Cross the border. Uh, yeah, cross, cross the border. Cross Highway 9. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> in South Bruce. Yeah. You yeah. know? I just always thought that was kind of strange that like there's almost like well there's little zones. culture and of it like mini cult obviously yeah and each town has its own character and, and yeah culture, do you think you South say. Bruce has any particulars about its culture that or specifically Mile May if you like oh uh, well it's also interesting because you look I mean the again the whole amalgamation of municipalities thing because we could just say oh Greenock Township or Carrick you know what I mean but yeah. now it's South Bruce in a broad sense but Mile May. Uh, I think they're pretty tight knit community. Yeah. Uh, that said, that can be said for a lot of small villages. Um, definitely, yeah, they like to party. I think that's a reputation. That's uh, yeah. not too necessarily a bad thing. I, I have some friends from Mile May, grew up with in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly there's always that word, oh, the Mile May accent, the Mile May slang. Mile May. Yeah, Mile May. Like yeah. how you say Mile May, for instance. Yeah, well, it's not like I overemphasize it, but I like to say it in the way that locals do. I said, uh, I used the term mint at work today, and one of my coworkers. <laughs> Got a kick out of that shit. I haven't heard that since I was since the '90s. I said, "Oh, don't worry, the folks that's are still mint. using it." That's mint. Yeah, that's awesome. I always thought it'd be fun to do a Bruce County dictionary, like yeah. make a mini version and like from each village and town, even like combine into one. Like, okay, these are some sayings used all around the county, or here's something that's specific to Mile May. That yeah. would be that would be fun. Like a fun project. I don't know. I think of all the expressions that we use here, and then like I'll say something again in Ottawa. I'd say something, or I use grammar a certain way, and someone would be like, "What?" Like people don't actually say that, and it's like, "Oh, okay." So your last name, Trevally, mm -hmm. Italian, correct? Yeah. So there must be a Catholic background there. I, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, we're Catholic, but our Dutch side and German side is also. Oh, so there's a Dutch and German side. Yes. My mom is Dutch and German. So I'm up. First generation Bruce County, second generation Canadian, because I guess my parents are first generation. So yeah, there's a little tidbit. But yeah, wow. Dutch Catholic, German Catholic, Italian Catholic backgrounds. Where do they meet, your parents? In Hamilton. They both grew up in Hamilton. Oh, uh, that explains a lot. Yes, a lot of Italians in Hamilton. Yes, it does. And then, uh, well, I don't know if there's a lot of Dutch in Hamilton, but in like Haldeman County, there's a lot of Dutch in the Niagara region and so on. Yeah. But yeah. So both, yeah, my, uh, they went to elementary school together and went to high school together. And Do you know which part of that? I don't know. Out on the mountain. Like, my dad grew up in Mount Hope by the airport, and my mom also in the country by, right. by Mount Hope. So they went to Corpus Christi Elementary, and I don't know what the high school was, but Hamilton's also built up a lot. Sure. So, like, yeah, up the mountain, Mount Hope, Ancaster. My question is more about the second part of what you just said. Mm -hmm. Why are you still Catholic? Many people, um, the drop-off rate in, in universities astronomical. Right? I guess, yeah, that's true. So it does happen. at some point, um, I believe every young person has yeah. to kind of decide, mm -hmm. am I going to make this my own mm -hmm. or am I going to just let it go? Right? Interesting. I don't think I've ever had a moment of a crossover where it's like, okay, do I yes or no? I just have always, I mean, I was raised with the, with the, with the faith firmly planted and I had a good, I think, community in the church locally and in Ottawa as well. Um, so it was never, it's never something that's been like, okay, I think I'm moving on or I think, I mean, I've just, I've kept my faith. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Have you, did, did you know people who kind of moved on, like they were kind of churchgoers, kind of believers when they were younger and then moved on? Or Yeah, but I don't, yes, I think there are people who just slowly stopped going, like I think of some young people, but I don't know if there was like a, again, like one juncture where they just said, that's it. Maybe it was just things just kind of faltered off, maybe because they didn't have a good foundation in university or because they weren't surrounded by people that necessarily encouraged them. So maybe that's... That's sort of touching on what you're saying. I just found I still had a church community. And also, we're talking about different options, although maybe it's not really what you're saying. But going to a large city, you can see 
our church manifest, like not manifested, but it, like yeah, 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 yeah in different ways, right? Like, I, it's like you know what I mean. That there's different rights of the church, different young or different organizations, CCO. I mean, that was, then there was you know the Basilica, then there was Opus Dei, then there was other like you know what I mean. The Anglo Catholics. I went to the Maronite parish. I feel like I just think it's interesting because we can see our our universal church in different in different ways in different communities. So to me, that was like. I guess you could say reinforcing, even though I didn't join another community or like a, um, an order or anything to that effect of the church, I was still, I think, grounding to see that, just to see that, that, that there's a wide breadth of people that, that share this common thread, share this common faith, this body of Christ, but yet have their own charisms, I guess, and own culture surrounding, I don't know. And we're back. What do you think, Charles? He's a nice guy. I really like him, and I'm I'm interested a bit like our. Uh, actually, we didn't talk about it clearly a couple of episodes ago. We talked with your cousin Andrew James Zettel, or Andrew J Zettel, as I like to call him for short, because um, J takes less time to say than James does. So Andrew J Zettel. No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. They're both one syllable. No, that's true. Um, we we call that app. We call that little interview. There's a traitor in our midst because. We didn't explain it. He left the community, and he has not yet come back. Mm -hmm. And he belongs here. So right. Stephen Trevally has come back, which is great. Right. That he had a job opportunity. We, 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 that's one of the things we talked about with him. So it's exciting to see what a young person does who's been away, went to Ottawa, and then came back and is making a go of it in Bruce County. Yeah, and it is always. I always find it nice when uh, some people go away and they have their experiences and they go, mm -hmm. and then they come back. And what what impressed me about uh, about him. Um, in particular is that he came back like really well-rounded like he didn't come back like sometimes people go away and they come back different you know ooh we don't like that and but I don't like what people like he's still very much rooted in our community it's and in true, Bruce it's County true. it's true like he I enjoyed think, living in Ottawa he said he did great. he did but, but you know he, what? he kept he kept all of his connections that's something yeah. I really didn't do when I went away oh yeah I, I wasn't good at I, I still haven't recovered some of the connections back here back home hmm. okay yeah. Shane in Chepstow. And I kind of regret that, I'll be honest. That's very poignant. Yeah. I believe you, though. All right, it's time for Christmas Skeptics. Christmas Skeptics. So we've got three famous Christmas Skeptics. One we already heard the music from was The Grinch. But let's go back in history a little bit to perhaps the most effective of Christmas Skeptics, the Lord Protector. Let me see a picture. Oh, yeah, there we go. Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell. So I'm not going to do a history thing because I don't have the dates or details in front of me, but Cromwell led uh, the parliamentarians or Puritans in a, probably the first major civil war in Europe uh, on behalf of the commoners against the monarch, the monarch and the aristocrats. Cromwell was a Puritan, and he overthrew and eventually executed Charles I, who's still revered as a martyr in the Church of England. And he ran England single-handedly for several years. And during that time, he did something that would, I would say, definitely make him the ancestor of all Christmas skeptics. He banned Christmas. He made it basically illegal to celebrate Christmas with festivities. In fact, in the little online article that we read just before this episode yeah. to figure out what actually happened, apparently they, they forced stores to stay open on December 25th, and they had soldiers patrolling London so that if anyone was eating a special meal, they would be arrested. Right, if they were if they were caught in the streets carrying like more food than they thought was necessary. Like a turkey or like something. Like a turkey or something big like they, that. They didn't have turkeys, probably. They would, uh, they would arrest them or yeah. confiscate their food or whatever. They were really persecuting people on Christmas, around Christmas. That's so the whole idea there was they wanted to keep, like, there's nothing special about December 25th would be the point. They're, they're very fierce Christians, the Puritans, but very anti-Catholic, anti-Church of England even, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, they yeah. wanted to keep it really simple. What gets me is the reason, what, the reason they did it was to prevent people from being corrupted by the excess by the excess and like sort of the materialistic right part of christmas isn't that funny because as 
as someone. Don't, no, I don't want to hear what you don't want to give it away yet? Don't give it. What? Okay, fine. Okay, we got two Continue. more Christmas skeptics Let's before we go on. Let's go on to the next one. All right, who's next? Um, Let's find his face. He is, he's he's going to show up on our screen momentarily. I don't know what's going on here. There we go. And who, which version of Scrooge is that, Sam? Because I don't really Jim know. This is the Jim Carrey version. The, the Jim Carrey uh, version of Scrooge. 99. Okay. It's like kind of a quasi-animated, uh, like a CGI version of all right, so Christmas story. Charles Dickens wrote a famous story called A Christmas Carol about a character well-known for his saying, Bah humbug, mm -hmm. about Christmas. And he kept his poor clerk, uh, Bill... No, Bob Cratchit. Bob oh, Cratchit. sorry, I was thinking about something else. Do you know what I was thinking about? Go ahead. I was thinking, I've noticed something in common between these two. What? They both have a beezer on their forehead. Right there. What's a beezer? Well, he's a beezer in his forehead. What's a beezer? <laughs> Never heard that term before. And then the Jim Carrey character, he has like a blemish right there. That's but it? I think having a blemish on your face is one of the things that makes you a Christmas, Christmas skeptic. skeptic. Okay, let's see if we can bear you that You don't up. know what a beezer is? we got to talk about that. This is a Bruce County term, I think. Well, let's just pretend it is. Maybe our, maybe our viewers can tell us if they've heard the term beezer. My, my dad uses the term beezer. There it, is. it means like a, like a bump. It's, it's like, like it basically, it's not a zit, it's sort of like a... Not a boil? Not a boil. It's not sore, it's not itchy. It's just like, almost like a skin tag or like a... Okay. Um, a pore that got, that got stuck and like kind of came out. All right. So my dad is a big, has a beezer on his nose. Ask him sometime to see his beezer, he'll show you. I don't want to ask your dad that question. You? I'm not going to ask okay, your dad that question. It's embarrassing. The next, before the next podcast, you've got to go up to my dad and say, Hey, Ted, can I see your beezer? I'm not going to do that. No, it sounds should. rude. It's, it's funny. I'm sorry. Besides, you you asked me what color my lips are. I did ask you that question. And that's a very personal question about personal hygiene. So ask, No, it's not about personal hygiene at all. Ask Ted about his beezer. All right. So, he, so the, the, the character comes from the Charles Dickens novel, A Christmas Carol. He's keeping Bob Cratchit, his clerk, working on Christmas Eve. And he hates Christmas because it... Allows people to believe that there's something more than money in life, and he only cares about money. He's famous as being a miser, and he hated Christmas. But we've got one more Christmas skeptic, and who was that? I've already heard about him. Well, you want to talk about this character? About the Grinch? Well, I think everybody knows about the Grinch. He's a Dr. Seuss character, right? Dr. Seuss invented him. Yeah, yeah. Safe to say, yeah. And uh, I think we all know the story. He lives in a cave near Whoville, and uh, he hates Christmas and. What he hates about the Christmas about Christmas seems to be just like the joy, mm. like the um, he doesn't he. In a, he seems like in a sense a true Grinch because he he uh, what we think of like the adjective you're being a Grinch. Mm -hmm. You just don't like to see other people being happy, and I think in the story it's it's uh, pretty clear that he's not happy because he is alone. He's like isolated. No, he's got his dog Max. It's got his dog Max. But he uses We're going Max. Back to pet parent. He uses Max. You're right. Max is just. A tool of his. He's not emotionally Wait, attached. He sounds to more like a country person, person in regard to his dog. Not really like a pet parent. But anyway, what bothers him about Christmas is not ideological or anything. It's it's that that the uh, the residents of Whoville are so joyful about it. And he hates, right. He hates that. He hates the singing and he hates the meals and he hates the gift giving and so he tries to ruin Christmas by going and stealing all their gifts. Hey, he goes, random, ha, ha, ha. random question. Didn't Jim Carrey also play the Grinch? I think he did. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know any other Christmas skeptics? Because I can see two right at this moment. Jack Frost? No, you and me. Um, what? Aren't you a Christmas skeptic? Oh, I'm I think calling I'm you a, on this. I think I'm a recovering Christmas skeptic. <sighs> You're a wimp. That's the word we used to use back in the I 70s. I had a conversion to Christmas a while ago. Really? Well, first of all, why were you a Christmas skeptic? Okay, well, um, so I'm a relatively devout Catholic. I don't know if I call myself that. Maybe, yeah, I guess I am. I'm a relatively devout Catholic. I love, sure. I love the church. <laughs> I hate the church. I love the church. Um, but um, yes, I am. I'm devoted to yeah. to, to Christianity and to Jesus. And uh, so I loved the Christmas story, like that, like that Jesus came. He was made incarnate, came to Earth. Um, I loved the whole, that whole story. What I hated about Christmas was how like materialistic. And secular it had become um, to the point that I mean it's it's worse now than it ever has been in that sense that mm. I, like they started playing 
Christmas music 24-7 on one of my local stations, one of the local stations here, at the beginning of November. Right, right after Halloween. Right after Halloween. So yeah. it's like, it's just become like a big commercial push. And it's no secret, it's like the biggest time for sales in every field, um, right right leading up to Christmas, the months before Christmas. So they just like, it's like exploited for a commercial purpose. And that's what really got to me. It really bothered me. So I think that's why I became a skeptic almost to the point that um, I kind of ignored it. Like I focus, I'd focus on Advent. I still mm-hmm. really like Advent. I'd focus on Advent and I'd be like, I can't wait for Christmas to be over. Just so that we can kind of go back to celebrating our church feasts and our church celebrations without the world noticing. That's kind of where I'm at. Before we talk about your recovery, as you as you call it, can I? I'll tell you a bit about my skepticism. Okay, the Sam Tater. Yeah. So I remember as a kid because I'm not from this country. Mm-hmm. Santa Claus kind of scared me. I don't think I'm the only one who's been kind of scared by Santa Claus. So I was I was pretty young. I was would have been under eight for sure. Maybe I was five or six. I don't remember exactly, but it was like a guy wearing a Santa Claus mask. And that scared me, and I still don't like clowns, like a clown thing, I don't know. But that's one of my earliest memories. And then, like, I think I cared too much about presents when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and like, in a bad way. Like, I was really, really wanting a great present, and I get like, overexcited as a kid about the presents that we might get. Not good. So when I was raising kids, when my kids were little, as they all remember, and my family will remember, it was like, I was trying to protect them in a way from the overly commercial aspects of Christmas and focusing more on the faith aspect. However, here's the problem. I was very divisive, not not necessarily a good thing, and I didn't necessarily deal with it in a good way. Like, actually, literally a couple of times. <laughs> we went on retreat on Christmas Day as a family. We just, like, were not wow. available on Christmas Day, which is good and bad. We did celebrate Christmas with our families. Just Christmas Day itself, we kind of reserved just for like a day of going to Mass and prayer and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's kind of stupid and yet sort of good in a way. I don't know. Anyway, how did you recover from being a Christmas skeptic or at least partially recover? Well, it's tied to a very specific point, specific oh, yeah. event in my life. Um, I was, well, I'm not I. We, my wife and I, were expecting our first child. Mm. So Jesse was in the womb. And uh, it was the first time we had been pregnant, first time we were expecting a child. And it was, so he was born in, in April. So she was sort of like midterm around mm-hmm. Christmas time. And it was, it just, it really changed the, the feel of Christmas hmm. um, that year. That year was like a different, it was a different Christmas than I had ever had before. Sure. I think for the, for the reason that I understood. I understood for the first time what it meant to be like waiting in expectant hope mm. in a in the way that like the Christmas story uh, evolves. Yeah. You know, like with with Mary being in the, the the Virgin Mary having the birth of Christ announced by the by the angel and and Joseph doubting at first and then being um, you know taking her to Bethlehem and and then the baby Jesus is born and uh, I just didn't understand that element of it i guess until um we were expecting jesse hmm. so that i think I, I credit that event with my recovery from this christmas skepticism only because i just i realized just now how uh on just a deeper level how important it is and and um kind of like i don't want to use like a cliche term but like the magic of it a sort of Oh, I think there's something to that. I sort of realized that, that that sort of came back to me. Now I still, I still struggle a bit with the, um, you know, the materialism and the yeah. commercial commercialization of it, and 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 the whole Santa Claus um, idea as well. Um, just like the, sort of like the culture's obsession with Santa and mm-hmm. the Elf on the Shelf and everything else. I still that, all that stuff still kind of, I think is too over the top. But I just I love the Christmas story. Um, the story of Jesus and this ex- expecting the Savior um, so much more now. And I think that kind of drowns it out. Well, I got a kind of Gray County moment, or maybe a city thing, where I remember, this was years ago, when I first met Mary, I drove up to meet her mom and dad for the first time ever. And I grew up, drove up from Brampton, went through Orangeville, and it was really dark because it was actually early December or mid-December. 
went up through Shelburne, darker, and I hit Dundalk, and it was pitch black, but the lights actually were kind of amazing because the Christmas lights, every time I, I drive through Dundalk and see the Christmas lights, it reminds me of my first time driving through on my way to meet Mary, Mary's mom and dad for the first time. And now, it didn't happen then, but later on I began to realize that those very secular, even commercial things like excessive gift giving, food, lights, all this other stuff that may seem to have nothing to do with Jesus and, and really kind of doesn't, at the same time is an expression of what the Grinch is well Christmas story movie is about. It's just like, there is something potentially joyful about it. Mm -hmm. If it's joyful, I suppose that's the thing that matters to me. And I think I, I was not really good at, at recognizing how great joy is because I just wanted to get things done right. I was a bit like Oliver Cromwell, kind of a Puritan in a way, because I want to just like keep it really simple, focus on Jesus, which is good. I think that's still for me, and I believe for other Christians, we should be the focus. And if you're not a Christian, it's something you can think about and focus on. But let's say you're not there yet. What? Why? What? What's like? As a Christian, I should be able to still say joy is real. Commercialism, lights, presence, excess. Some of that's kind of bad, but I think joy is pretty great. We all need that. Yeah, and actually, I would say definitely working at the nursing home the last four and a bit years now. I, know I talk about that a lot because I've seen things. I've seen myself differently through that. Is uh, like how much, just like this last couple of weeks, we started singing Christmas carols. How much older people love those Christmas carols? How meaningful they are to them. I actually, I have a greater appreciation for Christmas than ever before for that reason. Hmm. Honestly. Oh, that's a very happy story. Yeah, there's a bit of regret there because I can't go back and undo my kid's childhood. And I don't regret everything about it. I, I think there was like the potential for overwhelming kids with too many toys, and that didn't really happen. Gift giving is still a big deal and it's important, but it's not like a whole bunch of plastic. I don't know. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So a, bit of, a little Christ, Christmas skepticism remains in my heart, but I'm hoping there's more room for yeah, joy. Same here. But definitely I've been um, enjoying... I've been enjoying Christmas as a as a religious celebration, and also as even just in the sort of the cultural sense of just the joy and the yeah the expectant waiting, and even the gift giving and things like that. I think I've sort of come around to that a little bit more since Jesse. Just just recently, Jesse's thirteen now, so that was thirteen. Years yeah, ago. last weekend actually had an event that that was kind of a big deal in our community. So they've had a Christmas parade for years, mm -hmm. and knowing people involved with it this year was really complicated. So what they did, which was okay, and I think it was actually kind of good, is they, they had a whole bunch of floats, in quotes, set up uh, in the arena parking lot in, in the village of Dundalk, and you could drive through. So you kind of got the parade effect by driving through. I got a couple of people that even walked through, but just like, I could see how as a community, we, we really needed it. It was really good for our community to have like that opportunity for people to like have a drive-by Christmas parade. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a good thing. Yeah. All right. Well, Sam, no episode of Swamp Things would be complete without a Raptors update. Hey, guess what? Training camp is on, and that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Hope for every team. You know what? Every team is a potential champion at the start of training camp, in theory. But in practice, in fact, LeBron is Thanos, so nobody has a chance. Oh, You got a picture? Uh, yeah, there, we, there go. we go. LeBron equals Thanos, and I, I, I think I noticed the chin and the beard, kind of give, gives you that look of this, this, the, uh, the animated Thanos replica thing that was in the Marvel movies. LeBron James is arguably, I don't agree quite, but arguably the greatest basketball player ever. He's lost a lot of championships. People hold that against him. Sometimes he's got a lot of finals and he lost because he didn't have a great team around him. Basketball is a team game. However, if you've got the Thanos of basketball on your team, there's a very good chance you're going to win the championship. And uh, like two years ago, they had, a, they had a bad team. They didn't get close. But last year, they won the championship. He's got a really good teammate named Anthony Davis, like a top five player, got a good team around them. They're by far the favorite to win the championship again this year. And if LeBron equals Thanos... No matter how much of a Raptors fan I am, and I think they still have a chance to win the championship, honestly, he's got that gauntlet with all those Infinity Stones on it. It's it's over. Does he make other teams disappear? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. He also gets all the calls because he's that great. And it's like the refs just like they want him to win because that, that's good for the ratings. 
I'm, I'm saying that it's so a, if he's Thanos, skinny. who's Iron Man? Who's Iron Man? Yeah, in the league. Who's Iron Man? Potentially Chris Paul. What does that mean to like you? His arch enemy. His arch enemy. Yeah. I wouldn't say. See, I'm I'm a comics guy, a Marvel guy, as well as a is is. See, my favorite character on the of Avengers is Doctor Strange. And yours is probably Iron Man. That's why you think no. of Iron Man. No, what? What? You, do you have a favorite character? Uh, you're a bit like Iron Man because you have a lot of gadgets. Yeah. And you're a wise guy. I don't have any money though. It's okay. One of those defining features. What? Well, oh, that's true. Um, I'd have to think about that. Which Marvel right. character? That could that'd be a good topic. So, if which you were Iron Man, you? could Thanos crush your head? No, that was the the vision you did that to. Anyway, it's like. Would you would you have your life sacrificed so that we could defeat him? Are you saying would I sacrifice my life for the fate of the world, for the yes. salvation of the world? Yes. yes. You would. Yep. Man, you're a good person. Mm. I'm glad you're my friend. You're not like my dog is going to eat <coughs> me when I die. That's true. I'm not like your dog. It's a fair weather friend. You know, only while you're alive and and well and and he's well fed will he be your friend. That's true. That's a really depressing note to end this episode on. <laughs> I know. Hmm. Uh, Everyone's gonna think twice when they look at their dog next time after watching this. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. They might th- look twice before they look at us again and say, "Who are these crazy people?" Are telling if your dog's looking at you, licking licking his chops, you could be next on the menu. You could be next on the menu. There's still hope for the Raptors, though. Oh. Yeah. And also, Merry Christmas. Even though I'm still a bit of a skeptic. Yeah, we won't. Won't we have another episode between now and Christmas? I hope so. I hope so too. Okay. All right, well, that's all for today, everyone. As usual, we want to hear your responses and your questions and your feedback. Let us know if you know anything we don't, which is quite possible. I don't think so. About, uh, you know, pets. um, The Lord Protector. The Lord Protector. Anything we got wrong, any inconsistencies or anything like that, uh, please let us know. Let us know if you've heard the term Beezer. Beezer.